This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'm continuing on this journey today that I started back in January, where we're looking at different books of the Old Testament. And we've looked at Genesis, we followed the people of Israel out of Egypt. We've looked at Joseph's life and how God elevated Joseph as he had a dream. We've walked through uh, Exodus as the people went through their journey. They went on the the journey out of Israel on their Exodus into the wilderness. We've looked at different aspects. We've looked at uh, Moses' life and what it looked like for him to carry those people out. And we get to a place of Leviticus. Most people... When they read the Bible, don't sit down and say, I think I'm going to read Leviticus today. Right? It's not typically what we want to pick up and read about how bloods and guts and uh, the cows and the sheeps and the turtle doves and all this stuff gets slain and the blood gets strode all over the tabernacle. It's not typically what we want to pick up and read. We also have a hard time sometimes relating the relevance of the book of Leviticus to our day-to-day life now. We didn't bring any animals in the house today, and we ain't shedding no blood as a sacrifice for our sin in the house today, right? So we have a hard time sometimes relating. We have a hard time bringing it back full circle. And if we're not careful, because we can't relate, because we can't justify it, because we can't even understand sometimes, we skip it. Right? I mean, honestly, in your Bible reading, if if you're going to skip through something, in the Leviticus book, probably one that you would just say, I'm good, I ain't sacrificing no animals, and you move on, right? In a typical person's life, that's the way it works. But we can't skip Leviticus. This is the Word of God. We agree. Holy, complete, from beginning to end, every word that's there is meant to be there. It's inspired by God. It's God-breathed. Therefore, if God said Leviticus needed to be in this book, there's some reason for you and I that Leviticus is in this book, right? We skip it. We walk past it. We overlook it. We don't want to read the gory details, and some of it just really doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But when we get down to the facts of it, it is Leviticus that defines our faith. It's Leviticus, and it's the sacrificial process. It's the atonement process that defines what Christ did on the cross. If there had been no Leviticus in the beginning, had there been no law, there been no explanation for what God needed from us, then it wouldn't make sense why Christ had to actually die and his blood had to be shed on the cross. The sacrifice is explained in Leviticus. Laws exist for the idea of protecting society and keeping order. Some of them are pretty dumb, though. You agree? Some of them are dumb. I did a little research 
uh, of North Carolina laws, and, and I've done my best to fact check these, and I found these over and over. So if, you, if it's a lie and you find out it's a lie, we'll correct it. But I've done my best to make sure because some of them are just crazy. Did you know that it's illegal to hold more than two sessions of bingo per week in the state of North Carolina, and each session should not exceed five hours? Who cares? Right? If you're going to sit down and play bingo for six hours, you ought to have the right to do that if you have nothing no better to do anyway. Right? It's against the law for a rabbit to race down the street. Did you know there's a reason that some people... Don't make it uh, to the platform to sing on the praise team because it is against the law in the state of North Carolina to sing off-key. Do you know that? It's against the law to sing off-key. How about, I don't know about you, but I really hate this one because it's a struggle for me, but I can't use my elephant to plow my cotton field. That's crazy. How about this? And this is interesting to me. I had a conversation with somebody the other day that, They had a friend that's actually a law enforcement officer that this is what they specialize in. If you sell illegal drugs, you're supposed to pay taxes on them. It's the truth. And there are organizations in law enforcement that their job is not to track you down for selling dope. It's to actually track you down to make you pay taxes on the dope you sold. That's ridiculous. In Asheville, it's illegal to sneeze on a city street. It's illegal to sneeze on a city street. In Dunn, it's illegal to play in traffic. Why only Dunn? This is interesting, and most people don't know this. If a man and woman who aren't married go into a motel or a hotel and they register themselves as married, then according to the state law, they're legally married. However, it's absolutely illegal for you to go in and claim to be married and not be married. In fact, it's a misdemeanor. We'll just be real. It is still a misdemeanor in the state of North Carolina to have sexual relations outside of marriage. That's interesting. That's fact. I almost wrote down the statute number. That's interesting. I never knew that. I had a conversation with a cousin of mine that's a police officer in Coates, and he's a, a associate pastor here actually in town. And we were having a discussion one day, and he said, did you know that it's against the law for people to fornicate? I said, what? He said, I'm not talking about scripture. He said, it is against the state of law. It is against the law in the state of North Carolina for people to fornicate. To have an adulterous relationship is a misdemeanor. You can be locked up and arrested. I never knew that. That's interesting. It's wrong regardless, but the fact that there's still a law in 2020 that says you can't do that's interesting to me. In Southern Shores, it's against the law to rollerblade on a state highway. If you want to rollerblade on a state highway, you might be asking for it anyway. Right? And in Forest City, you must stop and call City Hall before entering town in an automobile. This is so the townspeople have time to go out and hold their horses to get you through town. They go hold their horses. We got some really dumb laws. You agree? 
why it's still taking up ink on the paper to tell me I can't use my elephant to plow my cotton field. I don't know. But it is. Leviticus was written to be the law. I'm going to get to my scripture, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You know this passage of scripture, and I promise I'm going to tie it all back around together. But Paul's writing to the church of Rome, and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. Mr. Tommy, if you can give me any more monitor, that would be fantastic. Leviticus is all about the sacrifice. God wrote the book of Leviticus. God wrote all the Bible, right? But Leviticus is actually a little bit different because it specifically was written by God and it was received in the beginning by Moses. So if we were to ask who wrote the book of Leviticus, we would say traditionally Moses did. But it's more detailed than that. It's not like Romans. It's not like the Gospel of Matthew where Matthew actually sat down and recounted the, what he saw, what he witnessed, and he wrote it based on what he believed God was leading him to write. It's not like that. Leviticus was actually God-given detailed instructional law that Moses just simply recorded as he received that. Leviticus gets its name from uh, a word that is veshara. And it literally means he called. If you look at Leviticus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says the Lord called, right? You don't know, you're not there with me. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him. The, the word Leviticus comes from the beginning of the actual first sentence of Leviticus. It means he called. Many, uh, the Traditionally, many Jewish people have changed and they've said that Leviticus is the law of the priest. It's the book of the priest. It's the law of the offering. It's all about instruction for the tabernacle. It's all about laying out the sacrificial process. Leviticus follows Exodus. In fact, if you get down deep into the study, there actually isn't a break from the end of Exodus into Leviticus. The, the, the Exodus chapter 40 verse 38 actually bleeds over into Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. We study down deeper. Leviticus follows Exodus 40. Exodus 40 is extremely important. Exodus 40 is when the tabernacle has been erected. God's given instruction. He said, you set up a tent of meeting, set up a tabernacle. They collected all kind of uh, resources. And that's interesting to me that when they needed to build the house, they needed to build the altar, they needed to build the lampstand, God said, hey, get all the people to come together, and we need these supplies. We need these resources. We need gold. We need silver. We need wood. And they came together, and they pulled everything together, and then they went into the process of putting this stuff together. And the end of Exodus chapter 40 says that uh, when Moses hung the curtains, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, he set up a curtain at the entrance of the courtyard so that Moses, at last Moses finished the work. And then in verse 34 of Exodus chapter 40, the Lord's glory filled the temple. 
This was a place that was made by the people's resources. It's no different than if we said, hey, we're going to build a building out back, and you need to go cut down some trees in your yard. I need you to bring some lumber. If you got some gold rings and some necklaces that we can melt down, and we can make some pretty uh, molding to go around some of the trim. And they, you would bring your stuff to the house. We would take it. We would refine it, whatever we got to do, put it together to build a facility, right? And so at this point, it's been completed, and Moses at last finishes the project. And the Bible says that the, the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When that took place, Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That place was taken from just man-made materials, stuff that was collected by the people. And now when the glory of God rested, the Shekinah glory rested on the place, the cloud set on the place, it no longer was just a place of human hands. It was no longer a place of human material. Now God's glory rested on it, and Moses was no longer allowed to enter in. This is where Leviticus picks up. It's interesting, and I thought about it earlier. I'll write another sermon on it one day, but I'll just tell you for a second. That last part of of chapter 40 says, Now whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. If the cloud did not rise, they remained there until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night a fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all of their journey. It kind of struck me in a way this morning as I was reading through this and studying that the fire settles on the house. And the fire remained on the house. The Spirit of God settled on the tabernacle. It settled there as the the place where God's presence resided. And as as it moved, they moved. When God's glory moved, the people moved. But as long as God's glory sat on the house, it was there. They remained there throughout their entire journey. Interesting thought. Leviticus gives the details of the sacrificial system beginning with burnt offerings. He goes through the whole whole process. God gives so many details about different type of offerings and what happens when you bring a, a burnt offering, what happens when you bring a grain offering, what happens when you bring a sin offering, a peace offering, when, when you don't have the animal and you got to bring in the grain. It gets very detailed. Some of it gets very gory. The fact that you cut the fat off the kidneys to to burn the fat and the fat of all the entire animal on the altar, to me is just kind of like, ugh. Right? However, there's three facts about sacrifices that are clear in Leviticus that I believe are timeless facts even for us today. I want to give you those. First of all, sacrifice is required. Sacrifice is required. In everything you do in life, sacrifice is required, right? If you got here today, you sacrificed the gas in your car in order to show up at the house, right? And in order to put gas back in your car, you're going to take money out of your pocket and you're going to pay the gas company, to put gas back in your car. Therefore, it was a sacrifice for you to show up. Now, Brother Bruce didn't have that problem this morning. He sacrificed his walking shoes. Walk around the corner. 
When you go out to lunch after a while and you get something to eat or you go home and you cook, whatever it is you're going to do, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to give something in order to receive, right? You're going to sacrifice your resources in order to eat. If you're in a relationship, if you're married, in order to make the relationship work, you're going to sacrifice. Always. Lord bless if we have kids. If they're going to eat, you're going to sacrifice. Right? In order to learn. I'm taking some classes and trying to work through some stuff, and some of it's driving me crazy. But in order for me to gain new knowledge, I have to sacrifice the time that I could be using to do something else. Right? Everything in life requires a sacrifice. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24 God's given instruction. He said, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me. From the beginning of time when God brought his people out of Egypt, when he put them in a place and he had gathered them together and he, he was promoting them forward, they're going through the wilderness and he's getting them to a place where they're their own people. They're the chosen people of God. He said, build an altar and sacrifice. And then we can look at the New Testament. I read you the passage of Scripture earlier. Paul said, offer your bodies as living and holy sacrifices. There's no way around it whether we're talking about Leviticus or whether we're talking about the day after Jesus was crucified. Sacrifice has to happen. Our salvation came through sacrifice. For us to be free, for us to have freedom of sin, for us to have eternal life, for us to be able to be brought back into a relationship with God. Sacrifice had to take place. Jesus had to die. God had to sacrifice his son. Sacrifice is required. We talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, and I told you that I've been challenged with this thought. Wednesday, I heard it for the third time in two different days. Is there any sacrifice without pain. And I was in a discussion with some people, and we were talking about Philippians chapter 2. Paul's asking these questions, and they're almost rhetorical questions. He said, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Well, yeah, Paul. Absolutely there's encouragement from belonging to Christ. I got hope that there's life after life, right? I have hope that I serve a God who, who's been given the name above all names, that at, every, at his name everybody above the earth, below the earth, on the earth is going to bow, every tongue's going to confess. Sure there's encouragement in Christ, Paul. You have comfort from his love? Well, yeah. I know that everything's okay. You fellowship together in the spirit. Well, yeah, we come together. And he said, they make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. <coughs> Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others better than yourself. 
that's the sacrifice. That's the challenge. If you and I are called to be witnesses of Christ's love, we agree that we are, right? We established Wednesday night that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? There's our encouragement from his love. But we're called to be witnesses. We're called to make disciples. We're called to to put him above everything else. And in order for him to be first, puts us backwards. That's easy to say, but that's not as easy to do. Because it's easy when it's comfortable. And it's easy when it's on our agenda. It's easy when it's convenient for me. Sure, God, I've had a great day. i got a smile on my face. I'll speak to that lady and tell her that God loves her and I hope she has a good day. That's easy for me. It's not as easy when I just got out of a situation and I'm ticked off at the world and walk in at a place that's public and have to put a smile on my face and be who God would want me to be. That's not as easy anymore. It's not as easy when I have to lose friends and I have to lose relationships because the people that I want to associate with, the people that truly invest in my life are not living in a standard of God. I live in a lot of isolation a lot of times because a lot of the people that I spent time with years ago would not be somebody at this point that I can hang on to. They see my life, they see the example I live, but I can't hold on to them. Therefore, we end up without friends. It's easy when it's comfortable. But to do what Paul said, and to be humble... And to think of everybody above ourself is the struggle. But sacrifice is required. Sacrifice was required in Leviticus, and sacrifice is required of us today. For you to sit down and read your Bible means you sacrifice the time of doing something else. But how else do we get the word of God instilled inside of us without hearing the word of God? Sacrifice is required. Not only is sacrifice required, but sacrifice is intentional. I'm amazed at the detail God gave in Leviticus. It's ridiculous. Just look at the first set of procedures in chapter 1. He said, when you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, 
you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from your herd, it must be a male with no defects. That means I've got to be intentional to leave the females at home, right? And I've got to make sure, not only is it going to be hard enough for me to go catch the cow in the first place, I've got to make sure I get the bull and not the heifer. And then after I get him and I got him situated, man, there's a stinking scrape on the back of his leg. Of course there is. Let him go and start over. And then he goes on and he says, bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so it may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hands on the animal's head and the Lord will accept his death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the blood by splattering against all sides of the altar that stands at the entrance of the tabernacle. So now, I have to physically lay my hands and my head on the bull and kill him. I don't recommend this, but I watched some animal sacrifices last night. I couldn't imagine. I watched some guys sacrificing some cows. And they're all gathered, and it's this huge thing in the streets, and they got a cow, and it's just it's gross, I'll just be honest with you. They got a rope around his neck, and one guy's pulling to stretch his neck out. One guy's holding him by the back end, and this guy comes up with a sword, and he, and the head goes rolling that way, and the body falls over. It's disgusting. God said, bring your male from your herd. He needs to have no defects. You're going to lay your hands on him. You're going to sacrifice him. And then the blood is going to be spread on all sides of the altar by the priest. Is that not detailed to you? That's just the first burnt offering. He says, and the skin of the animal is going to be cut into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, they'll build a fire on the altar. They'll arrange the pieces of wood or pieces of the offering, including the head and fat on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Forget the rest of the stinking cow. Wash his internal organs and his legs. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, pleasing aroma to the Lord. You didn't make a sacrifice by accident. That's the point. If you didn't have a cow, you didn't have a goat, you didn't have a sheep, God said, well, that's okay. Let me give you some more instructions. And you go on and he says, well, bring a couple turtle doves. And the priest is going to wring that turtle dove's neck, but the neck's not going to come, but not take its head off. And he's going to split him, but not completely split him in half. The detail is amazing to me. And it just all makes sense that for you and for I, in order to give our bodies as living and holy sacrifices, it has to be intentional. 
You don't accidentally pick the male out of the herd that has no defects, bring him, spill his blood, and then accidentally get his internal organs out and wash them and clean his hind legs, cut his skin up. That don't happen accidentally. It's intentional. Our sacrifice has to be intentional. If we're not intentionally sacrificing, I would be willing to say we're not sacrificing at all. You don't accidentally sacrifice something. You don't accidentally go to a restaurant and pay to get your food. I don't accidentally sacrifice my emotions and my feelings to try to Unify the relationship with my wife. I promise that don't happen. If that's not intentional, it doesn't happen. You're not going to get along on accident. Right? So why do we walk through life and our relationships with God Expecting our life to accidentally be a living and holy sacrifice. Well, I'm a good person. I'm doing the right things. I'm the best I can. I must be living that holy and pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. No. If it's not intentional, it's not a sacrifice. Lastly, if sacrifice is required, it's intentional, and something's got to die. Something has to die. In order, even for the grain offering, in order... To make a sacrifice, life had to be severed from the offering. Leviticus 17, verse 11 says, For the life of the body is in its blood. And I've given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Life is in the blood, and it's the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Something's got to die. These are the procedures for a sin offering in Leviticus chapter 4. This is how you're to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands. If the high priest sins... Bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must give a sin offering for the sin he's committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull, no defects. Here we are again, specific. A male, young bull, no defects. Lay his hand on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. The high priest will then take some of the bull's blood into the tabernacle, dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the inner curtain in the sanctuary. 
The priest will then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar for the fragrant incense that stands in the Lord's presence inside the tabernacle. He'll pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the base of the altar for a burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then the priest must remove all the fat of the bull to be offered as a sin offering. This includes the fat around all the internal organs, the kidneys, the fat around uh, them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. He must remove these along with kidneys, just as it does with cattle offered as a peace offering, and burn them on the altar of burnt offerings. He must take whatever's left of the bull, its hide, its meat, its head, its legs, internal organs, even the dung, and carry it away to a place outside the camp that's ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean, the place where ashes are dumped. There on the ash heap, he'll burn it on a wood fire. Everywhere you look, in order for there to be sacrifice, something's got to die. I thought about me. Because I try to think about me, not you. Don't you struggle with you? My biggest problem's not you, it's me. My biggest problem's not my circumstance. My biggest problem's not my family. My biggest problem's not my friends. It's me. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So if I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. In order for sacrifice to exist, something has to die. My challenge has been, well, back to Philippians. In order to put somebody else first means you have to die. Right? In order to put the will of God first, means your will has to die. In order to put the people around us, our family, the mission of the gospel, something has to die. Most of the time it's me. I have to die. I have to be crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I that live in my flesh being. It's no longer me and my way and my will and what I want. But now it's what Christ wants for me and what he has for me. But in order to sacrifice to get to the destiny, in order to get to the place where I know God's pushing me to get to, something has to die. And what's got to die is me. It's required and it's got to be intentional. This God doesn't die on accident. My flesh desires don't go away on accident. My attitude don't get put in alignment on accident. My kids have to have an attitude adjustment, right? It sure ain't happening on accident. Neither am I. 
So how do we get to a place where God's will is above everything else in our life? We recognize sacrifice is required. It's got to be intentional, even nasty. We could have went a totally different direction with that. Because sacrifice is a bloody mess. Rebecca, will you come play something for me, please? Do you realize the priests had to specialize in butchering and dissecting the offering? Cut the fat off the kidneys. That long lobe of the liver. That means the offering had to be dissected, butchered. I watched just a very short handful of those videos last night. I don't really want no part of that. But in order for you and for I... To offer up ourself. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to physically die. To offer me up as a living sacrifice. Jesus was the one that died. Sacrifice took place, right? Just because I don't have to die don't mean something didn't have to die. Jesus died. But in order for me to lay my life down, like Paul said, therefore present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to the Lord. This is your reasonable act of worship. That means that me as the offering has got to be dissected and butchered. I've got to be completely taken apart. If I'm the offering, right? I'm the young bull. And the only way that I become defect free is by the grace of God. I'm not worthy to lay on the altar before the Lord. Paul said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. I'm not holy and acceptable. The only way that I become holy and acceptable is by the blood of Jesus over my life. And so now I'm the young bull that has no defects. And I have to lay down on the altar and the priest literally putting his head, stay with me, his hands on the head of the offering and slaughtering it. That means, symbolically speaking, my head has to be removed from the equation. My brain's got to go from the process. Because I way overthink things. I way overanalyze things. I know what I want. I know what my brain says, hey, that would be great. 
But before me, I, I can lay down on the altar and be presented as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. My head has to be severed from the equation. I've got to be dissected. And then after my head is removed from the equation, i got to be split wide open. How else do you get the kidneys out? How else do you remove the lobe of the liver? Somehow, God's got to get me to a place that I am wide open to him, transparent. Everything within me is now open to who he is. All the little dark rooms way back in the back that I don't want nobody to get close to. All the junk, everything from the past, everything from the present, everything from the future. All of that, I'm going to be split wide open, exposed to my innermost guts so that God can clean me up. So that he can remove what needs to be removed. The fat from the kidneys got burned. As I get older... My man belly seems to show up. And from what I understand, most of that fat's not on the surface of my belly. It's the fat around my organs. That's not good fat. That's the fat that causes me heart disease. That's the fat that brings me diabetes. And the only way to... Remove that from the sacrifice on the altar is for it to be split wide open so that that junk can be taken out so that now it's wholly acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. Sacrifice is required. And I promise it's got to be intentional. If I look back through my life and I find the place where I'm discontent I find the places where I seem like I'm, God's left me. God never went anywhere. I just didn't offer a sacrifice. We get in routine. We get in our day-to-day. And we're no longer intentional. And so then rather than me dying and laying sprawled out before God to be dissected by him and allow the Holy Spirit to direct and guide and lead and fix me, now I'm withdrawn and I'm closed up tight and I'm doing my own thing, living my own life rather than laying there dead on the altar. Something's got to die. I'm learning wholeheartedly. Sometimes the hard way. My will has to die. And I think I got it dead. I think I get to a place where I can wrap my mind around the fact that it's dead. My blood's been strode all over the altar. And then it creeps its way back. Because I quit intentionally sacrificing it. I stopped, pour myself out, empty everything in me. God, your will above everything else. But then somehow I make my way back to a place where my will starts rising up. Because it didn't die. 
Something's got to die. You will not put other people above yourself, like Paul said, until you die. You won't die unless it's intentional. But we have to get to a place where we realize we have to have sacrifice. I struggled with Leviticus just like you probably struggle with Leviticus. It's gory. It's nasty. Thank you, Jesus. We don't have to throw blood around this altar. But there's a reason. There's a reason for this book. The need for sacrifice has gone nowhere. It's still there. We still have to sacrifice. Our sacrifice is just no longer you showing up with your stock trailers and bringing cows and turtle doves and grain offerings. and Now we sacrifice ourselves. That's not optional hard extremely difficult nobody loves me more than me right nobody knows me better than me Paul said you to offer your body as a sacrifice. Father, God, I believe that this word was from you today. Wholeheartedly, I believe, Lord, that you're calling us to a place of sacrifice. God, you require an offering from us. Jesus didn't come to replace this law, God, he came to fulfill it, to complement it, Lord. And just because he died on the cross and he was the ultimate sacrifice doesn't mean I'm off the hook for sacrifice. It just means I present myself to you under the blood of Jesus rather, stand, rather than standing before a priest slaughtering animals. God, I believe you're challenging us today to recognize that sacrifice is required. An offering has to take place. God, but it must be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. And something has to die. Father, I believe today that as we've had this discussion that there's been moves on people's hearts. God, you're challenging us to sacrifice. 
Lord, if your call on our life is to put other people first, and your call on every one of our lives, God, is to love our neighbor greater than ourselves, to put your will above our will, to do all that you called and asked us to do, God, the only way that takes place is sacrifice. Father, I pray you move in our hearts today.